We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another bonus Sinkfield Drama edition of Perpetual Chess. A few things to go over before we get to our interviews. Number one, please subscribe to the Perpetual Chess Link Fest, a weekly free email covering all of this chess drama, just in case you're having trouble keeping up with it all. Every Friday, I will try to send out an email uh, covering the biggest stories of the week, just linking to the biggest stories of the week with some chess improvement uh, blog posts, some chess history blogs, some book reviews sprinkled in as well. Um, Number two, our guests this week are Grandmaster Alex Fishbein, who I interviewed in August uh, discussing his career more broadly. He is a grandmaster, an author, a uh, four-time U.S. championship competitor who uh, 
is quite active playing to this day and has been sharing his thoughts, tracking this story closely. Um, so I thought he would be insightful, and he was. Uh, we we speak, of course, about the Hans Niemann Magnus Carlsen issue in great detail, but Alex also had some more philosophical thoughts about the general issue of uh, cheating in OTP chess, which is a major issue to be reckoned with going forward. Our second guest, although it was actually recorded first, is longtime friend of myself, friend of the pod. I am Greg Shahadi, uh, founder of the U.S. Chess School, founder of the Pro Chess League. Always insightful on these matters. I will say my conversation with Greg was recorded Tuesday night. So if you're keeping the timeline of events in mind that I'm about to go over, um, that was after Magnus's two-move game against Hans Niemann, but before the statements that he issued today. And by the way, as always, timestamps are in the time description, or in the show description, excuse me. So if you want to um, skip to a specific interview or you don't need to hear me rehash all of the events, uh, by all means, just check the notes and you can skip straight to what you want to hear. Um, as for the events, I mean, there's a decent amount to cover. And as I record this Wednesday night, um, September 21st, it feels like suddenly things are happening fast and furious, but nonetheless, we're going to put this out. Um, I did want to mention on the editorial front that what I'm going to be doing on perpetual chess, I've decided for the near future, at least is Tuesday episodes will be sort of ring fenced. We won't be discussing all this drama. It will be the traditional evergreen content that you're used to discussing people's careers. Uh, next Tuesday's episode is an adult improver episode, no sync field drama whatsoever. And then as long as the events are coming out so quickly, I'll be bringing in different guests to share their perspectives and trying to keep you all up with everything that's going on. Uh, and then once this story starts to die down, I will gladly uh, go back to just a regular Tuesday uh, long form interview type format. Um, so back to the events. Uh, obviously, yesterday, bombshell news. Magnus is finally playing uh, Hans Niemann in the Julius Baer online tournament. And it turns out he doesn't play him after on the second move with Black. Magnus resigns, inspiring a million memes and jokes online. But it's a serious issue that in this competitive endeavor, he didn't play a real game. Uh, it affects people's prize money, their livelihood. Um, so not an ideal way to protest the presence of his competitor, Hans Niemann. And we talk about that particularly in the second interview with I am Greg Shahadi. Um, you know, we're still trying to piece together everything that happened, but whatever Magnus's gripes are, it seems like there might've been other ways to express it than just resigning in a competitive game. Uh, then today, Magnus finally spoke. So again, this is after my interview with Greg, but he spoke on the Chess 24 broadcast. He did an eight-minute interview with Kaya Snare. By the way, Kaya did a fantastic job trying to extract information from Magnus. He is a wily competitor, so he did not share that much information. But I will read a few quotes that he said. Uh, she asked him specifically, of course, about what happened in St. Louis. And Magnus said, this is a quote, Unfortunately, I cannot particularly speak on that, but people can draw their own conclusions, and they certainly have. I have to say that I'm very impressed by Neiman's play, and I think his mentor, Grandmaster Maxim Delugi, must have been doing a great job. Now, here on this podcast, I don't want to get into a lot of innuendo, 
But I will say that his mentioning Grandmaster Maxim Delugi was almost certainly deliberate. Um, And if you look around online, you will find out uh, what Magnus was referring to. But more importantly, he said that he hopes to say a little bit more after the tournament. So it does seem like some sort of statement might be forthcoming uh, in a few days. Mercifully, finally, Fide also has said that they'll have a statement soon. And Kaya to her credit, also asked Magnus sort of on a general level how he thinks cheaters should be punished. And he said, Magnus said, quote, on a general basis, I think cheaters in the future should not be taken lightly, either online or over the board. And if you listen to my first forthcoming interview with Grandmaster Alex Fishbein, that's a lot of what what we discuss. Uh, Another key event, uh, again, arbiter of the Sinkfield Cup, Chris Bird, uh, put out a statement on Twitter today where he said, This is, again, a quote, to all the folks who contacted me looking for comments and interviews as chief arbiter of the 2022 Sinkfield Cup, I would only say one player withdrew for personal reasons, and there is no indication that any player played unfairly in any of those games. Uh, Number three, as we record this Wednesday night, uh, Fabiano Caruana uh, in his new podcast with uh, Grandmaster Christian Carrilla He revealed a few really important details, at least to my mind. Uh, Number one, he said that Magnus, he was aware that Magnus was considering withdrawing from the Sinkfield Cup as soon as Hans was invited. So, for example, you hear me and Greg discussing the possibility of a triggering event in the game between Hans and uh, Magnus in the Sinkfield Cup. But it turns out that that's not necessarily the case, that the whatever happened with losing to Hans just put Magnus over the edge. Um, and he, he was already considering leaving according to Fabiano and ended up leaving after the game. I of course consider Fabiano credible on this matter. So in terms of trying to piece together what happened, I certainly consider that a key piece of information. And Fabiano himself said, quote, Magnus's decision to leave the tournament was emotional and maybe wasn't the best decision. So we'll leave it at that in terms of uh, the key events. There's obviously so much more I could share, but it's all been discussed. I do think that these conversations forthcoming with Grandmaster Alex Fishbein and uh, Greg Shahadi are worthwhile. Um, I want to thank our sponsors, Chessable and Aim Chess. Again, when you put the drama aside, you try to work on your own game. Uh, Chessable's courses are great for learning openings and end games, and Aim Chess's algorithm is great for helping you tweak what it is that you're doing. Um, So without further ado, we're going to take an ad break. We're going to get you to Alex Fishbein, recorded Wednesday, September 21st. Following that, you will hear uh, I am Greg Shahadi, recorded Tuesday, September 20th. Thanks for listening, everyone, and enjoy the interviews. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by aimchess.com. Aim Chess has an algorithm which reviews your games from the major chess playing sites and then gives you actionable information about what to work on. I haven't been playing as much Blitz lately, just been busy with family stuff. And when I review my games, 
it shows. My openings are still good, but I need to work on my tactics, my end games, my advantage capitalization, and some other stuff. The good news is that Aim Chess has the tools to help you work on those things. You can review the specific tactics that you missed within the game among countless other features. So you can check out Aim Chess for free. And then if you do decide to subscribe, use the code perpetual30 to save 30% on the first month. Or you can also use the link in the show description for aimchess.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are here again with the newly christened friend of the pod. He was a fun guest a couple months back, and he's been sharing a lot of uh, opinions and following this story, this Sinkfield Cup, Neiman slash Carlson story closely like the rest of us. So as we look for more perspectives about this fast developing story as uh, our guest joins me here on Wednesday night, uh, September 21st. Um, we welcome back Grandmaster Alex Fishbein to the show. Welcome, Alex. Oh, thank you, Ben, again for the introduction. Uh, I'm always happy to be to be here with you. Yeah, and we appreciate hearing your thoughts. So I know you've got a lot of um, opinions to share about right. uh, all the information we've all been digesting. But before we get to that, Alex, I know you've played Hans over the board three times. Could you just right. tell us a little bit about those experiences? Sure. So, yes, yeah, so I did play him three times. The first time was in 2016. Um, I lost the game without much of a fight. I was black. He was rated about 200 points lower than me, I think, at the time, maybe 150 points. You know, uh, he was probably in the 2300s USCF somewhere, maybe maybe low 2400s. So, yeah. Um, he he played some line. You know, I always played the King's Indian. I played the King's Indian against him. He played some line I – some, like, sub-variation I hadn't seen before, just completely wiped me off the board very quickly. Um, he played very quickly the whole game. Um, he had, at that time, he had a t- tendency to chat with his friends during the game a lot. Like he would, he would walk up from the table, from the board and kind of talk to people. He did that a lot during those times. I don't think there's anything untoward there, but he, he, he would do that. He had, you know, friends of similar age. So I noticed right. that. Other than that, I didn't notice anything unusual. Um, I asked him after the game, whether the move that he played was preparation or some theory that I didn't know. And he said it was preparation. So that was game one. Uh, that was in 2016. And game two was in 2017, a year later, same tournaments. Both of them were in the, Liber- uh, in the National Chess Congress, um, November, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, the 2017 one, I outplayed him very nicely at a King's Indian again. I was black. All three games I was black against him, actually. Um, outplayed him. You know, I was worse out of the opening than I outplayed him positionally. He got a completely winning position. And... He was shaking his head a lot. He saw that he was in trouble. He was not happy. But there was no strange behavior over the board. He was he was perfectly reasonable. Uh, and then I just blundered. I blundered basically a queen. I, I made a move where I thought I was giving him mate on the back rank, but it wasn't mate. His queen could come back and defend against the mate. So I just basically sacrificed a queen for this back rank mate, which wasn't a mate. <laughs> and so I turned a completely winning position. And I had the right move, too. I knew what the right move was, and I was going to play. But I said, wait, wait a minute, can't I just do the simple thing? So I lost immediately, and, and that was that was pretty painful. Um, 
you know, that was kind of like, it, it was a tough loss because, I mean, had I won, I would have probably tied for first or second in that tournament. And, or at least I would have had a chance to. And, you know, so anyway, so that was bad. Um, but I played a nice game. And then the third time I actually managed to beat him, that was in 2019, two years later at the New Jersey Open. Um, I had five out of five coming in. I had, beat, I had just beaten Brandon Jacobson. So it's funny. I just, I just come back from the senior closed, which I didn't do very well. And I'm basically playing in the junior closed. Right. <laughs> right. New Jersey Open. I was a state. It was my home state. And I, I was five out of five, and I managed to beat him also in the last round with Black again. This time I surprised him with the Nimzo Indian. He had no idea. But he played G3 in move four, which he uh-huh. used to play. Which he used to play. And, and the reason I played the Nimzo Indian against him, because I saw that in many of his games, probably online games or something, I don't know, he played G3. I saw that almost every time he played G3. And I had a, I had a really nice line against G3, which I prepared, which I didn't think he would figure out how to play against. And I did that. I got a good position. And all I had to do was draw that game. And because I had five out of five, he had four and a half. I just had to draw, and I was clear first. And um, out of the opening, I had a position which was such that the only way he could win, he basically had no way to win. He, he had to basically play for a draw. He had to play for equality out of the opening. But given that he had to play for a win, he went, took all his pieces to the king's side, and I basically just beat him. So, again, all three games I think he acted with – Perfect courtesy uh, during the games. Okay, and of course, four. He was very upset when he lost. He was very upset when he lost. He went to like you know started. He, he was visibly upset, but he resigned. He you know he shook my head, hand, and everything. There's nothing. In fact, he resigned a little. I was surprised he resigned given what happened the previous time he played because I basically <laughs> right. been in a position where he should have resigned anyway. So. And of course, four G three. He that experience, I guess, came G3. in handy when he faced. Uh... Yeah, well, that's why that's why I was so shocked when people accused him of that opening. That was just so stupid because, I mean, first of all, the guy played G three himself for like right. several years, and he, he mentioned that during one of the interviews. Like, come on! I mean, I, the, the whole opening thing just made absolutely no sense. Like, there, I agree with 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 Jacob Hoggard, who was on your yeah. show. I completely agree with him on that. Yeah, that that there was no yeah. leak or uh, no. It doesn't matter. Prep. It's just completely it, it, the, the the accusations themselves were so far fetched that like, and who cares? I mean, oh, what if there was a leak? Okay, I mean, not that there would be, but let's say there was. Who cares? That's not cheating. You know, Carpo and Kasparov had leaks back and forth. Usually, yeah. it was Carpo leaking to Kasparov. Kasparov accused him, but that's, I mean, he never accused Karpov of cheating. If Karpov receives an opening prep from from one of some Kasparov's team, what's he supposed to do? Like, not play that opening? I mean, that's crazy, right? So, anyway, even if there was a leak, it's not cheating. Even if there was a leak, it's still not cheating on Neiman's part in any way, shape, or form. The only cheating would be if, like, let's say somebody did leak opening theory to him, he should probably say so after the game. But during the game, he's supposed to just use it. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to say, Oh, you know, I, I'm not going to use it since you gave it to me. I'm not going to play that opening. Like nobody right. would ever do that. Not a single player in the history of chess would ever do that. So that's just dumb. Okay. Yeah, I I agree, and I feel like that's I feel like the public opinion has coalesced around that point of view. It may yeah. have taken a while, but, yeah. <laughs> but they got well, people there. People just don't understand. Like anyway, so whatever. That's that's completely beside the topic. Yeah. Okay. So let's bring it forward to this week's events. Um, Greg Shahadi will come after you on the podcast. Right. We spoke at some length about the events leading up to the resignation, uh, the the non-game. Uh, the non-game, right. Yeah, where Magnus resigned on move two. But I mean, if you could just briefly share your thoughts on on uh, on that, um, that method well, of protest from Magnus. Yeah, I mean, 
I kind of want to take a step back. I mean, yeah, that game I think was basically a statement saying, I don't want to play this guy um, because I think he's a cheater. And I don't know for a fact that he's a cheater, but I think he's a cheater. So I don't want to play him. That's basically You're, you're quoting Magnus here. I'm, I mean, you're not saying you think he, he's a cheater. Yeah. Right, right. I'm sorry. So so let me preface yeah. this whole thing by saying that, you know, I, I listened to Hans Niemann's interview after round five, the one where he gave his um, confession. I have a tremendous amount of sympathy for that confession and for his story. I, I don't have any reason to suspect that he cheated over the board. I wouldn't, t- I wouldn't necessarily dismiss it out of hand, but mm-hmm. I'm not like, like just listening to that interview. It seems like there's reasons why he didn't. And he's, and he admitted to cheating on the board. So I have nothing. I, I, I'm probably if somebody had to put a gun to my head and say, did he cheat or didn't? I probably say he did not cheat in, in over the board, over the board in mm-hmm. that game with Carlson and in any other games that he played before that. But I'm not, I, I can't say that for sure. So I'm probably, I listened to the earlier Greg Shahade podcast with you before, and I kind of on the same page with him there in, in what you said at that time. Um, yeah. Now, however, that's not the issue. The, first of all, the issue is not whether he cheated or not. The issue is, does he have? Can his opponent trust him? Yes. So yeah. It's and I think I think that what I want to do, if you don't mind, is kind of to take to, to, to maybe not answer your question directly, but kind of take a step back a little bit and kind of talk about what we're what the real core of the problem is. So for, first of all, on on the Hans Niemann cheating itself over the board, and I'm only taking the information that he himself gave during his confession, nothing else. I have no evidence for, from, from chess.com. I have no idea what games he cheated in. Just taking the information that he gave during his own interview. So a couple of things, a couple of things that are important. And I'm going to speak, I'm speaking here from a little bit of a prosecutorial point of view. I'm trying to put myself in Magnus's shoes. Okay. I've played Hans Niemann. I know the guy. I've seen him. I've seen him in tournaments. He's playing there amongst us. I see him. I know him. I never thought he was a cheater. I didn't know that he, I thought he was a little weird. I thought he was a little arrogant. I didn't like him personally necessarily, but I never thought he was a cheater. It never even occurred to me and um, that he became that good by cheating. And, you know, online, I didn't know. I didn't know the story. So so I'm, I'm taking it from, I'm t- taking not how I think, but how, how Magnus would think about this. And apparently there's some information out there that Magnus may have already known that there was this history, right? So what is the history? So the important thing to understand, and this is where a lot of the misconception is, the cheating that that Hans did was not when he was a little kid. Okay, this cannot be be ascribed to just like a, a little indiscretion by a kid who doesn't know what he's doing. That's not the situation because we're not talking about the 12 year old, the case when he was 12 years old. We're talking about the case in 2020. The reason I know it's 2020 is because he himself said it was during the peak of the pandemic. The peak of the pandemic had to be after March of 2020. Okay. Hans's birthday is June of 2003. So he would have been at least almost 17 years old. Okay. This is not, so 16 might be, 16 is, is um, he was well into the 60s, almost 17. More importantly, okay, what, what was his strength? 
his rating, his FIDE rating at the time was 2465. I'm looking at this FIDE rating in, in the summer of 2020. His peak rating had actually occurred way before that. It was in March of 2019, 2477. So he had he'd been at that strength for a while. Like people think, okay, he improved 200 points in two years. Well, no. He actually improved those 200 points in four years because he first got to that 2477 level quite a while. He, he, he crossed 2400 two years, almost two years prior to this incident in 2020. So he'd already been a good player for two years. He uh, For two years, almost two years before that, he was already almost a GM straight. I know because I played him. I played him in that New Jersey Open. He beat everybody else in that tournament. I saw how he was... He's amongst us. I see him. I, I see. I know who he is. I see he's playing. He's a strong player. He's a serious player. He obviously studies a lot. He. I know that he trained with Max Lugi for many years. Max Lugi is a very respectable trainer. I, I'm... I consider him a friend. And actually, the first time I met him, the first time I met Hans, <laughs> I think it was in a Blitz game, like a casual Blitz game. I played him in, even before the 2016, probably 2015, at the Marshall Chess Cup. And Lugie was right there. And Lugie would say, hey, look, look at my kid. Here's my student. Look how good he is. So I know I know they're together. Uh, and they and he taught him. And I know Lugie from a long time ago. I know he has a very you know, good positional understanding, and he teaches that to his students. So this guy's a serious player. This guy's not just some kid, you know, he's a serious player. So now the question becomes, what does it mean to cheat? Okay, what does it mean to cheat? Okay, and the other point I need to make is these were, he says that these were random games or casual games. Okay. The problem with that logic is that he has a motive. He wants to raise his rating. He himself said that. He didn't just do it randomly to, to see what would happen if he used a computer. He specifically said he did it to raise his rating so that he could streaming he could get play against stronger players, and his streaming career would 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 uh, you know be benefited by that, right? So he's probably doing it against other strong players. He's probably not doing it as people like me who are two hundred points lower in speed chess. He could beat anyway. He's probably doing it against people like maybe Magnus himself. I don't know people at that level, right? Because that's probably who he needs to do it against to beat to to raise his rating. Right. Um, so there's a motive. There's a there's a clear plan. There's a clear plan in mind. It's not it's not that he's doing it randomly. OK. So that so now the question is, so he's 17 years old. He's played chess for many years. He's played. He's studied chess for thousands of hours. He's perfected his 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 honed his skill. He's perfected the art form. He's read many books. He's taken many, stu- many lessons from students, from teachers He's played thousands of games. He's put his whole life into chess, right? Would you agree? I mean, you know, I interviewed him in March. Um, yeah, and it seems like that, right? Yeah. And from that interview, what he what he said is up until that plateau that you alluded to when he was 2400, yeah. things came relatively easy to him, but something flipped and, you know, things came easy, but still your life is like, you know, when you're a top young player like that, your life is immersed in chess culture, you know? Um, and I, I certainly don't think he was an exception well, in that regard, but it was at that point where he got super serious about it and kind of went all in. So I do think it's, um, I, I generally agree, but he did describe sort of a moment mm-hmm. where he definitely escalated his study habits in okay. recent years. So, and now, okay. That was probably around 2018, 2019. 
or maybe after that plateau. But but just to, I, I still maintain that just to get to that level, because I played him three times. I know what level he was at. I know what level he was at. You know, he was a good player. Just to get to that level, you have to be a serious student of the game. Of course, right? yeah. This is this is not a situation. You know, we had in 2020, we had some incidents where, and I'm not going to name names, but there were some incidents that were well publicized. You know, a bunch of like 10 year old kids, 10, 11 year old kids who cheated online by just basically just using a computer, using an engine to play every move. And it was so obvious because a person can't play a blitz game like Anatoly Karpov plays normal games, same style. You just yeah. can't have it, right? If a 10-year-old does that, there's two possibilities. Either the person is an all-time genius like Bobby Fischer or the person is cheating. So, you know, unfortunately, there were some incidents like that. That's not what we're talking about here. That person, those people had only played for a couple of years. Maybe they just started playing online, right, in some cases. Here we have a person who has been, you know, so so let's go back. Let's take a step back. And what what does it mean for that person to use an engine to play a move, Right. It means essentially that you are, and this is very, this is a very important point, very maybe the most important point in this whole thing. Why is it different? Like a lot of people that say, well, you know, everybody's cheated in the past, you know, but Phoenix Misloff accused each other of opening uh, leaks. You know, during the 1930s, it was common to have players talk to each other during the game and give them moves of advice. All those stories are well documented. It's very different when you use a computer, when you use an engine to suggest a move, in that moment, in that moment when you're doing that, you're basically equating yourself to a beginner. Because a beginner, even a person who doesn't know how the pieces move, can beat a world champion by using a computer, in fact, very easily, by using a computer. So at the moment that you're consulting an engine to play a move in a game, you are basically throwing away all the years of, of, of your life because you are basically saying, you know what, all that stuff I did, it's worth nothing. What I really need, all I need is an engine. And that's all I, you're equating yourself to a beginner mentally. You have to be, you have to be thinking that because you've spent all this time on your game. So you have to have it in your back of your mind saying, why, why did I waste all my time doing this when I could just use an engine to find the move? That thought has to be there somewhere. So, because of that, for a long time, people thought that grandmasters were not, were never, would never do this because a grandmaster would think, no, no, it's way, way beneath me, you know. Basically, you know, like like the level of cheating, you, you just can't compare it to other types of cheating. You can't compare, for example, to like people have compared to bicycles or using steroids or something. Well, you know what? Me, Alex Fishbein, okay, I'm 54 years old. I'm overweight. No matter how many steroids I took, I will not be able to run a marathon. I won't be able to run a five miles probably, no matter what amount of steroids I took. Okay? I wouldn't be able to run a marathon. But if I could, if I had a car, if I had a car, I could run a marathon. Using a car, I could sort of run a marathon. Right. <laughs> right? That's the analogy, right? It's like using a car to run a marathon. It's not like you, using drugs would be like, you know, it wouldn't help you. Getting advice from another person, looking up an opening, looking up an opening, bringing notes in your – like people used to cheat, and I actually witnessed a case like this in a tournament. I saw a person forfeited by going to the bookstore and looking up an opening. Oh, yeah. That was a big thing. I remember He then that. claimed – I know this person, by the way. He's a very well-respected grandmaster right now. I'm not going to say names, but I saw, I was, saw it. I was there. He claimed that he was looking at the book, but he wasn't looking at that variation. So, okay, whatever. <laughs> right. 
Maybe, maybe not. But his opponent actually followed him to the bookstore So <clears throat> in the tournament. So that happened a lot. Or people would bring crib sheets to their, in their pocket and like go to the, you know, to the bathroom or something. People could do that. But you can't beat a world champion like that. You probably can't even win a game like that. You have to actually play moves. You know, opening alone is not gonna is not gonna do it. This is different. This just tosses out all of your you know chess work out the window. You're just becoming a machine. You're just becoming basically a beginner. So, I think I think for that reason, um, for a person to do this, for a person to, and this is where I'm going to get to the most important point: the person to cheat like this. There has to be a serious motive. Okay? And I can only think of two. There may be others, but I can think of two. One is my opponent is doing it too, so I should be doing it. Okay? That would be a motive. If he's convinced that his opponents are also doing it. Set and, and and you know, maybe the kind of the the you know, maybe that's related to this idea of, you know, the world is you know, the world's in a fair place. Everybody's cheating, you know. Where? Second possible motive is just kind of desperation and maybe financial desperation. You know, maybe like that's what apparently um, there, there, was, there were some grandmasters who were banned for cheating. There's a famous Igor Rouse's case. I, I don't course, know. Yeah. Was. There's previous to that, there was a guy, Nigalidze from Georgia. I think he claimed that he was uh, destitute. He had, he had, he needed money. Um. So it could be that it could, and, and you know, and, and if that's Han's motive in this case, yeah, I have some sympathy for that. I mean, he's 17 years old; he's living on his own in New York. Okay, I, I, I can see that, but still, you know, it's it's something that you you're still throwing away your entire career, and you have to have that motive. And the question becomes, why would it only be online? Okay, this is the crux of the matter. Both of these motives can be applied just as well to over-the-board chess. It's the same thing. There's no reason to assume, you know, to say that somebody would cheat because it's easier, that's not a motive for cheating. A lot of things are easy. People don't do, you know, that's that's not a motive for throwing away, basically, mentally throwing away your whole life just because it's easy to do. That That's, that's not why a person would do it. A person would do it because <clears throat> they have some deep, re, deep-seated reasons, such as, they're, they think everybody else is cheating. They think it's an unfair world. They think that they're being punished unfairly for some other things they've done in their life before, or they're just, or they just have a financial problem, and they're willing to break the rules in a very, very big way to, to, to you know, to accomplish a competitive task in an online game that that does matter. And so, my opinion, and this is where people can disagree, but I think the rest of this argument depends on this opinion. If this opinion doesn't hold then the rest of the argument probably doesn't hold. And this is where I basically disagree with Jacob. And, and by the way, he had a brilliant interview. You had a brilliant interview with him. It's fantastic. Both that and the one before that, the month the, the month, month ago, that was really good too. But, but one thing I disagreed that he said is this point, that you, it's not a you know shoplifting <clears throat> versus bank robbery kind of thing. I, I don't see it that way, you know. There, it's it's yeah. A few people push back against that idea. It's more so. it's more serious than shoplifting, much more serious, and it's much less serious than bank robbery. And also, we shouldn't compare it to crimes. Neither of the, neither of these things are crimes. Cheating in chess is not a crime. You don't get prosecuted for it. It's not it's not a law. It's not a court of law kind of thing. It's more of a moral kind of thing, and that's why the big difference is a morality thing, right? 
It's a morality thing. If you're taking something from a store, the store has billions of dollars of, of, of wealth, you know, what's the problem? There really isn't a problem, right? It, it's not that this is completely different at its core. It's a completely different type of um, transgression. So bottom line is a person who is cheating online is liable to cheat over the board for the same reasons, for the same motives. And you have to assume that they will at least be tempted to do that. Yeah. Um, today, as we record, uh, Fabiano Caruana and Kristen Carilla are, we're doing a live stream of their C squared podcast, fantastic interview from, uh, I mean, discussion and Fabiano raised a similar point. He basically said that there's an element of trust amongst the top players that's required, uh, when you play each other in this day mm-hmm. and age. And he said amongst his peers, there are some people who, when he plays them, he just knows their character and he can say to mm-hmm. himself unequivocally, this person will will never would never cheat. This person, I know them, they wouldn't do it, whether Fabi's friends with them or not. There are some people that he feels that way about. And then he said there are some where he, he it's not that he thinks that they necessarily cheated, but that uh that he can't rule it out. And he said with Hans, he's he hasn't seen any compelling evidence that he cheated over the board. But right. he said, obviously, you can't say he won't do it. Is, right. is the distinction, uh, as right. you're saying. And I think that's actually a good point. The, the, point, the, the point that he made here that, is, that I didn't allude to was um, the, the trust, the honor system. Chess is always, for the 500 years that we've, we've um, and maybe if, I, if I seem emotional about this, then maybe I am, because it's, it's important to me also. Uh, you know, for the 500 years that we have recorded games, it has always been an honor system. You could always, you know, you could just claim you didn't touch a piece. No, right. there's, there's no, it's happened. There have been arguments about that. You could take a move back. If there are no witnesses, it's one person against the other. There are never any witnesses. Directors don't observe every game. There are no videos, right? Maybe there are now, but for 500 years, there haven't been. It's an honor system and it's always been an honor system. So that's a, that's a very good point that he's making, you know, that he's, that he's kind of alluding to. So, um, Unless you have a question, I will go on with the no, no, go on from that from that topic. Yeah, go for it. So, um, so that now, now this the, we've we've sort of, are you know we've sort of taken that as like an axiom: is a person who's cheating online is liable to at least be tempted to cheat over the board for the same reasons. Now the question is, why is over the board cheating such a taboo subject? Do you think? Do you agree that it's a taboo subject? I, until three weeks ago, <laughs> until three weeks, <laughs> ago. however long it's been, everything's you a blur. Agree with that? Uh, yeah, but it's 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 much more taboo. It's it's like especially you know, at the elite level, especially know, the way that these guys are talking about it now. The, well, not just at the elite level, at all levels. Like, yeah. how often do you see, like online? There's less anonymity, and you could just sort of. I mean, there's more anonymity. You can just sort of accuse somebody willy nilly of anything. Who cares? You can just do it under your fake name. How often do you see players in, a, in an actual live tournament go to the tournament and say, my opponent's cheating? I don't know. I've never done that. Maybe I did it once in my whole life. Okay. So whereas on chess.com, I can just hit a little button that says report. And I've done that many times, by the way. I, I play chess.com quite a bit. People can just Google my – I'm not going to say my name here out loud on chess.com. People can Google and figure it out. I've played tens of thousands of games, and I play all the time. And, and I've – banned people all the time. I've 
you know, I, I can see somebody is cheating and I just say a report and I get email from the chess.com people. You know, you're, you have gained eight rating points because your opponent cheated, right? But how often do you see that? And I've had, you know, probably have had hundreds of messages like that in my life. Um, how often do you see that in a real tournament? So why is it tempo? And, I, and I've thought about that topic too. And there's some reasons for it. So one, and this is what I think um, Jacob alluded to, which is a very good point. Previous allegations of over-the-board cheating have been laughable. So the ones I can think of is Kaspar versus Deep Thought. Okay, that was laughable. You're using a computer, using a human. Okay, it, it was... How far we've come, yeah. When I say laughable, I mean, people literally laughed. I mean, they yeah. did laugh then and they laugh now. That's what, it, that's what laughable means. Another laughable one is the Toilet Gate one with the Kramnik and Topol. That people laughed, okay, because there's no way world champions do what toilet. What, what you, and, and besides, Topol himself never actually stood by the allegation. Was he used his his manager Danilov to do that? He didn't directly say that. I think so too until like many months later. Another one that was a little bit laughable. And this was not as well known. Is but if you read Korshnoy's book, Chess is My Life, oh, he yeah. direct. I'm sorry. Yeah, great book. Right. You may have remembered that he directly accused his opponent. He played a match against this guy, Sadva Kasov, a grandmaster from uh, Kazakhstan, I think. Um, maybe the different republic. I'm not sure. But one of those southern republics. I've met him. He's a nice guy, Sadva Kasov. I've met him. He seemed like a nice guy. Uh, he was in America for a while. Um, Korshina directly accused him of cheating using a computer during the match. You can read it in the book. Um, and then the fourth one, the most laughable one, is, is of course... You have a picture of freaking Igor Rouse's in the bathroom, okay? Hmm. Picture on the toilet, okay? How is that not like, you know, the point is that all these cases are so laughable that people thought that they were just way out of anything that could really happen in, in nor normal situation. People thought that these were like extreme cases, all of these. They were either fake allegations or extreme cases. So that's one reason. Another reason is that and this is kind of related to um, what's going on. It's kind of started recently is, you know, people, younger people have shown great improvement. You know, Hans Niemann, 200 points in two years or whatever. There are many other cases like that. He's not the only one. Maybe ne ne people didn't get to 2,700, but 20, 200 to 2,500, 22, or, or getting out of nowhere to 2,400 very quickly because, well, for two years they couldn't play in tournaments. So they improved, their ratings were underrated. Everybody knows that. So, and it's a little bit insensitive, let's say, to just directly accuse some kid of, of cheating when there's no evidence and they could just be good, right? So you're usually very careful to accuse kids, but kids are the most, are the most prone to do this. And they're, they're the most, they're, they're the ones who play most of the games in, in open tournaments. Most players are kids, right? So if you say, okay, if it's a kid, you can't accuse them, well, then you can't accuse anybody, right? And um, also, you know, the, this theory that, that I think people have expressed that it's much harder to cheat live than it is online. So that part, that is, this is very important. Okay, so that part is actually no longer true. There have been some changes in the last few years that have made it very easy to cheat live. Is this a different kind of cheating? We have to we have to step away from this idea of a person just using a computer to make every move, using an engine to make every move. It's not like that. They just ask for advice once or twice during the game. 
And it's much easier to do that now because all these games, many games are have DGT boards and they're transmitted all over the world. And there's also this evaluation bar. I don't, I don't remember if, if that happened before, if that's a relatively recent thing. But you just go to the website and it'll tell you who's better. Chess.com has it. All these websites have games from all over the world. This chess bomb. I mean, you could go to any website. You don't need anything. You just need a little phone and access to the internet. And that's it. You just go to the website, look at the position. It'll tell you. You don't even need to look at You don't even have to necessarily find the move. Even just knowing the evaluation of the position makes a huge difference for a player. Especially so a like, strong player, obviously. Not a grandmaster. 400, 2400, yeah. 2300. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, this whole conversation is limited to masters and above, right? I'm not yeah. talking about cheating by 1800s. When 1800s cheat, yes, Ken Regan can catch them. Absolutely. If they play like a master grandmaster, Ken Regan's software is, is going to be extremely efficient at catching them. But when you're talking about the kind of cheating that actually happens, that I think actually happens over the board, and that is people sort of getting advice a little bit, because now everybody knows that these programs, they're not stupid. Even, even the kids know that, you know, and, and so it's a different level. It's a different type of, of cheating. And the question is how often does it happen? In my mind, it's not a question of if it happens, it's a question of how much does it happen? Right. So, um, you know, I have seen, I have myself witnessed suspicious behavior we, you know, since since returning to from the pandemic, twenty twenty one, there was rampant suspicious behavior in U.S. tournaments by players. It included things like getting up from the board when it's not your when 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 your clock is running. Okay, there were frequent there there still are tournaments there. You know, in almost any tournament you go to, there's an area where spectators can sit. And I've seen myself several incidents of, you know, I, I'm not saying that they were cheating necessarily, but communic- like non, nonverbal communication between parents and kids right. during the game. I've seen it myself. Um, I don't know what they were saying to each other, but I guarantee you the parent has access to the, to the you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little story if, if we're not, if we have a little bit of time. Sure. A very, 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 very quick story from my old days in Russia. I was 10 years mm-hmm. old. Nice. 10 years old. There were no computers. This was a very important game I was playing. At the age of 10, I was playing against this guy, Selezhenkin, who is a grandmaster now. He was already then a good player, decent player, better than me. Uh, it was a key game that I had to win for my, for my team to advance to the next round. And I had a very interesting game. And I ended up winning that game. And my dad was watching the game. My dad is a master, right? He was watching the game, and every <laughs> I probably shouldn't shouldn't even say this publicly, but every time I made a move, I was ten years old. He was very very emotional about. It. He really wanted me to win the game, obviously, right? And every time I made a move, he would not. Every time I made a move that he thought was a good move, he would sort of nod his head, <laughs> like you know, look at me, nod his head like this, right? And I'm like, yeah, good, okay. He's nodding his head. That means it's a good move because he was a he was a stronger player at that, much stronger player at that point than I was, right? Then my opponent actually, at the end, somebody, like, after the game, they, they somebody complained to somebody that, like, my dad kept nodding his head all the time during the game. <laughs> so, and, and the, the ironic thing is, Selezhenkin later was, <laughs> he was, and, I, you know, we, we I, I saw him, like, many years later in New York. We said hi. We, you know, he, he remembers me very well. I think we like each other. But he later, actually, his daughter was playing a, a game against another girl, and 
he accused his daughter accused this other girl of cheating. And Selezhenkin spoke out in support of his daughter's accusation and gave a fairly detailed account of how this cheating occurred. He was banned for several months, Selezhenkin was, for like making this public. <laughs> it's kind of ironic. Hmm. But but because um, I think he's a good guy. But in spite of the fact that he complained about mules. But, <laughs> um, but you know, the bottom line is there could be unwitting. The, the parent could unwittingly transmit information. There's so much. It's it's so different now. You know, it's it's common. It's common for like people who don't even know how the pieces move to just look at the game on the internet. I've had this happen many times. People who you know, my friends or relatives, ask me after the game, well, "Why didn't you play this move on move 35? Weren't you the bar said you were up 3.0? What happened? Why'd you lose the game?" You know, people follow the game without having to, without knowing anything. So there is like that kind of thing happens, I think. Um, and you know, the and, and then the other thing is why why do I think that there is cheating over the board, and why it shouldn't be a taboo subject is is that um, look, there have been th- I'm aware of three grandmasters who have been banned for cheating. Are you aware of more than that? Um, in the last ten years, over the board. Uh, oh, this is online. Over the board. Over the board. Oh no, I'm not aware of more than that. Probably less. So there's Rousis, right? There's Nigalitze. Mm-hmm. This guy Feller, okay, right, from the Olympia. Remember that? Uh, from yeah, the French. And I think, yeah, it, and he had some accomplices, right? So it's Feller right. and like one other GM. So that's like four, four GMs at this point. And then there's Ivanov's name. No, he's, there's... Ivanov is not a real player. He, I, I'm, he's not a real chess player. He just came in. He didn't even know the piece. Probably, he probably knew nothing, right? He just okay. came in. Maybe he was 1800. He used this method where every move was a computer. So he once they found his method, he just disappeared from, in, in, into the depths of the earth, right? right? He doesn't exist. So, but no, real players, real grandmasters who cheat. So there, there have been a few. Now, we know like maybe four or five, right? But that probably means there's more. That we don't, For sure. I mean, right? if you go back to statistically, yeah. I mean, well, Alex, and like if you think about like chess in the '90s, you and I were both active. All the game buying that went on, and right, I right. mean, not to say that it doesn't happen now, okay, but, but again, this is different, right? This is a different type of cheating. So, the, right, the but it shows theory, like, getting back to Fabiano's point. Sure, it shows a willingness sure. to cross a line. That, sure, but this okay. is a different kind of line. So, the, 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 well, the the, the Argument against this is you know, computer cheating is something grandmaster would never do because people thought that. Mm-hmm. People thought that real grandmasters would never do that. But I think there are probably other are other cases. And if there's five or ten cases of grandmasters, that means that about half of one percent of all grandmasters who ever lived have done this. I would okay? say that's a conservative estimate. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm trying to be conservative because I'm not trying yeah. to appear like I'm some kind of a you know cheating Nazi here, right? Right. So um, now, what if you're not a grandmaster? What if you're IM or FM? Obviously, that percentage has to increase, right? So that means if one percent, if half of one percent of all grandmasters have done it, it might be reasonable to assume that one percent of all title players do it on occasion, from time to time. That means right. you go to a tournament. If there's a hundred players in the open, it's reasonable to assume one of them is a cheater. Yeah. Think about that, right? And that means if that person cheats during this tournament, he could screw up the whole tournament because one one cheater can one game can mess up the entire standings of the tournament. You could have one player, 
you know, playing really well the first, you know, six, seven rounds and just mess up the tournament for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. I've seen it. So so it should not be a taboo subject for that reason, is that it, it, I think it is happening. It's happening among us. We don't know how often. I don't know if it's 1% or 5% or maybe half of 1%. All those numbers are significant. And then the last reason is that it shouldn't be a taboo subject is that it's, and we've talked about this before, is that it used to be that, like, you're a cheater. You're either a cheater or you're a good player. If you're a cheater, you're bad for life. If you're a good player, then you're not. But now there's a gray area. There's a greater. There's a people who kind of cheat a little bit sometimes. If it is the case that Hans Niemann did cheat in over-the-board games, I'm saying that that's possibly unlikely. He could still have become a grandmaster. He could still improve by 200. He could still be 2700. There are there are examples. I'm not going to name names, but I know of one example. I know of one high-profile example in America of somebody, and, I've, and several people have told me this about this person. Is that somebody? Is, is somebody who became a grandmaster and was known for cheating while he was doing, you know, while, while that was happening. So there's other cases of people who were caught and did not become grandmasters, but are still playing and are still good players. So, you know, so now, and then, you know, when, when that kind of method, when, when you're talking about that type of cheating rather than, you know, the kind where you had before, like the Borislav Ivanov style, where you just play every computer move, you know, Ken Regan's program is going to catch that very easily. But this type of thing, when you look for, you know, one move, it just, you want to just help a little bit. You know, people cheat because they have some motive. They think that they, you know, the world is set against them. Opponents are cheating also. They may need to kind of get a little bit of help from time to time. That's not going to be caught. Even even on on I didn't watch Ken Ryu on your podcast, but I think I I listened to it on the the one recently. The yeah, James Altucher. James Altucher, and he said, and he referred to that formula of three moves, nine games, right? That he gave you. So if person gets three moves over nine games, he'll catch him. Right. But if he gets one move over nine games, he won't catch him. He said that one move is not going to be enough. I don't think it's one move over nine games. I think it's one move over four games or three games. I mean, I, I know the difference between making be, playing at a GM normal level, 2,600. See, I, my, my rating right now is like 2,400, right? I've been in the 24 to 500 range most of the last few years. And in those last few years, I've made a couple of GM norm performances. Like I had one last year at the U.S. Masters, 2,600 performance. It's not that much different. Like I played a few good games. I played a couple of really good games. I beat John Burke in a fantastic game. But he made some mistakes, but I played really well and only made one mistake. And then I won one other game, which was <laughs> a really funny game because um, <laughs> I, I played for the first 30 moves of that game were exactly the same as another game I had played earlier that year. Never hmm. Something never happened to me in my life. The first 16 moves were theory, but then 14 moves in a row were games that I already played. So I beat this guy really easily because it was a game I already had. Very Amazing. rare. Right, yeah. very rare. And I actually went into the tournament director's room after the game. I said, "Look, you can look at the game, but I just want to sit straight out there. I played quickly, but it was because 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 I don't want them to sit. <laughs> it's because right. I already had this exact game. It's incredible. So happens. Things happen. You could play. You could play a really good game. Somebody who was a 24, 50, 25 year old can play a perfect game. You know, I've I've played games." against strong players. I've beaten 2700s, 2600s by playing near perfect chess. It, it can happen once in a while. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to play it every time, 
But if I'm already at 2,400, 2,500, I only need to do that one game or two games in a tournament to improve from, you know, if I'm beating a 2,700 one game or 2,600, that immediately improves my performance a few hundred rating points, right? And if I can, you know, just just one one game, one two games can make a whole difference between having a random result and be and being making a GM norm. Yeah. So, and I'm sure it happens. So mm-hmm. the question is, how much does it happen? So, mm-hmm. you know, and and um, I think that a lot of these cases, a lot of these borderline cases where the cheating is just not. It's just not, it's, you can't prove it beyond any kind of reasonable doubt. You can only prove by physical evidence. OTB chess, you can only prove it if you're, if you actually see the person doing something weird, going to the bathroom, whatever, right? Yeah. Well, one thing I want to add, Alex, I think that you've, you've raised a lot of uh, really good food for thought about sort of the, the scale of, of this problem. I do yeah. think that the time delay implemented by the Sinkfield Cup, um, to me, given all this information that's come out and a lot of the points you just raised, I do think that anything with DGT boards, I feel like we've just got to quickly move towards universal time delay. Yeah. And yeah. that that'll that won't that would make a difference. Yeah, it won't wholly make the problem go away. But right. and I even fifteen minutes I think might not be enough. But if you're doing thirty minute delay, um, it'll make a difference. Yeah, I think I think and, and, you know I'll, I'll end by that because there's a few things that that you can do to improve the situation. But I think that um, before that, you know, what, what, what do we have here? What happened here in this situation at hand? You had Carlson against Neiman. I think what happened here is this. So Matt, first of all, Magnus Carlson, right? And I guess there's information now that, you know, I guess Fabi and maybe one other person said that Magnus already knew that, that Hans Neiman was a questionable person before the, the Singfield cup. Okay. Yeah. According to Fabiano, Fine. he expressed, sure. uh, expressed, he was disappointed that Hans was invited and um, uh, right. considered right. withdrawing even before playing him. But uh, which go is on. interesting. So yeah, my, my my thought on that is like, you no, know, Magnus. Okay, at the age of fifteen, he was already a super GM. So twenty oh seven, there wasn't a lot of computer cheating at that time. It wasn't as common. You didn't have these. You didn't have a lot of these DGT boards everywhere. You didn't, all these methods didn't exist. Um, ever since then, he's been protected. He has been, it's almost like he lives, he plays in his own tournaments. He plays in tournaments that he's invited to. They're all closed tournaments, right? He very rarely plays in open tournaments. He plays in some Olympiads in open tournaments. Okay, but it's almost like he, he and I guess other people that low, but he especially, he's kind of living in a gated community, okay? He yeah. knows there's stuff out there. He knows there's bad stuff out there, but he hasn't actually seen it himself. Nobody's cheated against him. At least he doesn't know about it. So he hasn't seen it. He hasn't actually seen it with his own eyes, which means that he has no idea. He doesn't. He might not even be smart enough. I mean, when I say smart enough, I mean it in the sense of the um, in this type of detection smart. He might not even be able to figure out if a person is cheating. Like he, he, how would he even... How would he even know to suspect? I mean, he's playing against a 2700. 2700 can play a perfect game. He has no he has no tools with which to even figure out if the opponent he has seen it. He has no experience with it. People like me, I do have experience with it. I've played suspicious players. I've seen suspicious players be, get, play against other suspicious players. I've seen suspicious players play perfect games. I've seen them play against me, right? Again, I'm almost I've never actually protested 
but it's happened, <clears throat> you know, and I've seen it, I've seen it against other people. You can see it with your own eyes, but he has. So have you seen suspicious actions or just sure. suspicious moves? <laughs> of course, of course. It's not, no, no, no. The moves are never enough. The moves are never enough to accuse. In, in over the board chess, moves are never, literally never enough because a person can play, not at my level, I'm playing against 23, 2400s. They can play a perfect game, okay? If a guy's playing it nine games in a row, okay, that's different. But in any one game, moves are never enough to accuse. So we all know the going game. to the bathroom thing. What would be another example of a suspicious action? Well, it's, it's how you go to the bathroom. It's when you go to the bathroom. I see, I've seen a person take food to the bathroom. Okay, people don't take food to the bathroom. Right. Okay? I've seen, you know, I've seen people walk up while it's their move. Yeah. I've seen people go get up at a, at what looks like a critical point of the game, you know, come out and and, and then come back. I've, I've seen people sort of run away very quickly, okay? run Just run out of the hole really quickly so nobody can see where they're going. They're suspicious. I've seen people, as I said earlier, I've seen people non-verbally communicate with their coaches yeah. or parents. Hand signals. I, doesn't mean, there's no evidence. I can't, I can't take that to Ken Regan. Right. Or anybody else. I can't even take that to a TD. I, I will. I will. I will confess. I have complained to TDs specifically about people's behavior during game only twice in my life. Once was a game that I had played against a person. I drew that game. I didn't even lose the game. Okay. The second, nothing was done, and I've. I don't know. The second was a game that I had nothing to do with. It was not my game. It was not played against me. It was not played against any of my friends or relatives. It was just a random game. I'm not going to say where, but it was in the last year. And it was a suspicious, clearly suspicious behavior by a person who was, you know, <clears throat> in this case, he was going to a distant bathroom when you could have gotten to a much closer bathroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm going to leave it at that at this point. There was mm -hmm. other suspicious behavior there as well. So only twice have I complained. So I'm not like some kind of person who just goes in around and complains to people, but it happens. And I play a lot. You know, I'm, I'm active in tournaments. I see a lot of things. You know, unlike Magnus Carlsen, I play in a lot of open tournaments. I play with a lot of people who do cheat. You know, Magnus's opponents, <clears throat> for the most part, don't cheat because they're 2,700. There's definitely less percentage of those guys, right? But I play against people who are liable to cheat. I play against people who were kids recently and grew up out of the pandemic era. I've seen it. It happens. It's just... It's just a taboo subject. Grandmasters don't want to talk about it. But if you actually ask people, nobody knows. And what Peter Heine Nielsen said yesterday, I think, during a Chess 24 broadcast, they asked him. And he said, well, you know, I'm going to let Magnus speak. I don't want to speak in it. But, but we don't really know how much of the cheating goes on in OT and over the board. He said, we don't know the extent of the problem. And that's how I would kind of summarize it. We just don't know. It's a taboo subject. Nobody knows. So Hans Niemann is... is lives in a gated community. He doesn't, I'm not saying this in a negative way. I'm just saying Magnus, that Magnus lives in a gated Magnus. community. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm saying he's spoiled, which is good. I mean, he's, he's hasn't he deserves had it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. He lost a game. Okay. So, so he, he had heard of, of um, the allegation, but here's a very important thing, but nobody mentioned as far as I know, he didn't just lose the game. Okay. He lost the game without much of, of a, of a fight in the sense that he was just outplayed. No. So I know from experience, okay, because I'm a strong player also, I'm not going to lose to somebody with white, 200 points lower than me, 
by just getting outplayed with, out of the opening, beginning to end. I'm going to lose by blundering something. I'm going to lose by most likely by going too hard to play for a win. That's not what happened. Carlson was playing for a draw the entire game. Okay. I, I don't know of any incident like that at all in his career what, bef- after he became world champion. I'm not aware of any game he lost with White to, to somebody that much lower rated, period. Right. And, and losing with White by just being completely outplayed, he was outplayed like he was basically outclassed. The right. Although, you know, I mean, if you uh, obviously I'm on like I can only make this statement with the assistance of an engine. I'm not strong enough mm-hmm. to evaluate on yeah. my own. But yeah. I mean, there were mitigating circumstances in the fact that he was worse out of the opening. Um, OK, but and, so what? You can you can make a draw out of being after being worse. Than a lot of times. Right. By the way, psychology and chess, a lot of times when you're playing against I, and I'm saying anything about Neiman. I'm, I don't think Neiman cheated, mind you. I'm speaking from Carlson's point of view. Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining him myself in his shoes. What's he going to think? What the? I'm not saying the dirty word. Mm-hmm. But what just happened? I I lost basically. I just got. I just got completely outplayed from the beginning, and the guy wasn't even trying to make a draw. I mean, he's 200 points lower. He should be offering a draw at some point. Right. I don't know if you can offer a draw there, but against someone he knows has cheated online, yeah. he should be happy with the draw. And somebody who knows cheated online. So all these things, and the guy is two and a half out of three. He's leading the tournament. He's, he's rated 100 points lower than the next guy. He's leading the tournament. What is going on? And he knows that he cheated online. So, of course, he's going he's gonna to complain to the directors. He's, he pro- I don't know what he said to the directors. I'm just going to speculate. I'm going to speculate and say that he said that you got to either throw him out of the tournament or I'm out. Yep, probably. I'm going to speculate like that. And they said, no, yeah. of course we can throw him out of the tournament. What are you talking about? So said, well, then I'm out. And that's what happened. That's all it was. Yeah. So I, that's what happened there. And now what do we do? Yeah, I think you're probably right and I just want to say I agree that I I und- like I think you've you've done a nice job sort of uh putting us in Magnus's shoes, but I think yeah. where I and a lot of people uh break from um <laughs> what Magnus did is he could have continued to play in the tournament and continued and had the uh right. you know so, Hans could have been under right. increased scrutiny without his knowing right. it. And, right. But but so that comes that brings to the question of is he trying to raise this to a higher is he trying to actually like okay how is he, he's going to continue playing the tournament like what's he going to not not make the accusation right just, just well no he's going to keep it tournament. private keep it private but maybe his motive is actually to make it public and the only way you can make it public is probably to do something like this yeah i right? mean yeah. Now it the, was... the way. So I'm thinking. And this is kind of the last thing I wanted to. The last thing that I had, I had um, that was on my, um, you know, thought process was, what do we do now? Now that it's out in the open, what do we do? How do we fix the problem? I don't know, but I think that some of the ideas I had was number one. Um, maybe there's going to be a bit of a reckoning now. Maybe people will realize that this happens. Maybe not. I don't know. But what do we do? I think we should end the enigma. It's it's a secret thing. If you're banned for cheating online, nobody finds it's secret. You, you, evidence is not presented against you. That's a big problem. I think you know, like for, for chess.com, if you're a weak player, like you know anything below IM or GM, the rules can stay the same as they were. The, most of their most of their um, subscribers are not GMs. 
So they're not going to lose business if they change the rules just for GMs. If a GM or IM is accused of cheating online, they should be faced, they should be presented with the facts, what the accusation is, why do we think you cheated? They should be allowed to defend themselves specifically, like to, to actually have an interview, say, quick, you're, you're thinking about this move, this move, that move. And if they if the decision is named to, made to ban them, it should be public. Or at the very least, if it can't be public, at the very least, it should be known at the FIDE level. So the do you think there should be OTB repercussions? Not necessarily, but I think okay. that not as, I don't think the repercussions. I, I, I'm not. I'm not in the camp of you got to ban somebody for life. I think the punishment has to fit the crime. If it's if it's a tournament that's not rate, if it's a tournament that's the punishment has to fit the crime. Okay, you don't ban somebody for life for cheating in one game. You just don't ever, probably never. If it's somebody like Rouses who cheated in millions of games, got to 2,700 doing it, that's different. You don't ban somebody for life for cheating in one game. You just don't. People can do bad. People can stray. So there should be no lifetime bans or even six months bans. Even that's too much for cheating in just one game, especially if it's a game that's not with a lot of prize money, right? But there should be, the punishment should fit the crime. I think people should be able to have to present their case. And I think the directors in FIDE tournaments should be aware of people who are suspicious. Like in this case, Hans Niemann would be such an example. You know, for better or worse. Um, Another creative idea I had is maybe with all the money that chess.com gets from their subscribers and all the money that Magnus has, maybe they can donate some of that fortune to enhance security measures. I have played in only two tournaments in my life which had security measures. Three. So... The senior senior championship in St. Louis, okay, and the Millionaire Open, which you probably remember. Okay, mm-hmm. they had security measures. All these other, I've played round robin tournaments in Charlotte. They don't have security measures. Well, they Peter can, would say they're watching very closely. They but. can watch. They're not going to be. If I have a phone, the, the, no, nobody ever checked whether I have a phone on my person. Right. It could be in my pocket. Nobody would ever know because there's no security. There's no way with it to tell that I have a phone in my pocket or not. I can go to the bathroom with that phone. Parents are allowed to be near the games in all these tournaments, not just Charlotte, but everywhere. World Open, I mean, don't even think about it. There's a thousand people, right? There's no way. So some tournaments, it's impractical. Yeah, they can watch people, but there's no, there's still no, you know, and I'm not trying to single out Charlotte, right? There's, this is everywhere, right? Every, every tournament that I have seen, Charlotte's probably the best run tournaments that I have, that I've played in, right? By far. But I'm just giving you as an example of a round-robin tournament where you still don't have, like, an actual security that a person comes in, you know. Right. No, checks, yeah, no right? metal detector that's, or RFP no or detector, whatever. Right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a little company that's struggling that makes good metal detectors that can sponsor Magnus. I don't know. I mean, right. Something like that, right? Because that needs to – by the way, I, my, my boss at my, at my most recent job, I, I told him what I told him with these people cheating. Say, how can that be? People use cell phones. How could a person bring a cell phone to a game? I can't imagine how that could possibly happen. You know, I said, well, you, you don't have money to like have metal detectors at every single site. How is that possible? It's a professional tournament. I don't understand. Like, Got to make it like a Dave Chappelle ask, concert. Check your phone as you come in the room. Exactly, right? If you actually <laughs> ask a person right. on the street, yeah. they'd be pretty surprised. And and frankly, if you, have a, if you have a rule, FIDE has a rule that says you can't have a phone on you, it has to be enforced. It's not being enforced. Right. So those are the things. Um, And, you know, no communication between spectators and players. 
in any mm-hmm. unless there's an emergency. That's not well, enforced. Yeah. Right? So well, those are my <laughs> I probably great, took more, great I, insights. I probably I took mean, more time than I needed to, but no, no. But it's it, like you say, it's it's a know, conversation that's going to echo for for a long time. This yeah. is only this is only the beginning. So yeah, um, yeah. Um, so I appreciate your sharing sharing yeah, your thoughts, Alex. My, my opinions. I mean, yeah. from somebody who from somebody who is has played for a long time in both the computer and the non-computer age. And also I have some experience in computer programming and statistics as well. I and mean, that's what I do for a living. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just that it's one thing to know that a player, Hans Niemann can be comfortable and can convince people that he's not cheating. I know Hans Niemann. I tend to believe him, but when a person has a reputation, like, like, you know, like Fabio said, if a person has a reputation, can't be trusted necessarily. You just have to have different standards. You have to have some sort of provision for that. Yeah. And it can't be, it can't be like, it can't, it can't all be quiet and secret. And number, and the most important thing is people should not pretend that this cheating is just an, only an online phenomenon. Because it's not. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope we can get this sorted. I mean, I've certainly heard a few people mention it's an existential threat to yeah, to yeah. chess. Um, I tend sure. to agree. So, um, so anyway, I hope yeah, that- Fabiano. One more quote from Fabiano before we go. Uh, I, I was just watching it before our interview, but he said, uh, "I don't want to see chess become like cycling, where everyone knows it happens and we can't do much about it." Um, but it's so much worse in chess, right? Because Layup, can, because of what you said earlier, because you can't, it, you can't defend it can make, against it, no matter how it can make an, and as you said, it can make anyone world class. Whereas cycling, yeah. if if you're, you know, if you're using performance enhancing drugs, you have to be amazing to begin with. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. Well, Alex, we appreciate it. Hope to chat right. again sometime. Well, and thank uh, you very much for having yep. me. Oh, my pleasure. Next time I'll yep. try not to take all of your time, but oh no, it's um, it's it's a lot of a uh, lot of tentacles to the <laughs> okay. story, a lot I to be discussed. So too, yeah. Okay, take care, Alex. Thanks a lot. Perpetual Chess is brought to you by our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, utilizes space repetition to help you remember opening sequences and tactical patterns. And they have a huge catalog of excellent courses, and they're dropping new ones at a blistering rate. New courses include one by Grandmaster Maurice Ashley. There's the new course Grind Like a Grandmaster by Magnus Carlsen himself with his friend Grandmaster David Howell. And The Life and Games of Mikhail Tal, which is an absolute classic book, is now on Chessable. And the video is done by Ginger GM himself, Simon Williams. So be sure to go to chessable.com. They also have tons of stuff that you can check out for free. So chessable.com, check out what's new. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. And we are here on Tuesday, September 20th, with the founder of the Pro Chess League, the founder of the U.S. Chess School, and the newly christened 
Sinkfield drama correspondent of the Perpetual Chess <laughs> podcast. He is back with more hot takes to share. He's chomping at the bit to uh, to join us. So welcome back, Greg Shahadi. What's up? How you doing? I'm well. So anything happening in the chess world, Greg? Um, you know, a little bit, a little bit. Um, lots to say about that. Lots to say. So, you know, before we even begin, uh, you know, we need to think about what, what is Magnus doing, right? Like, Magnus, I think, is taking the heat right now. Like, most people are no longer on his side. Um, would you agree with that? I would I agree with that. Yeah, yeah so I like mean, most, it seems that way to me. So, I definitely agree, too, that he's going about this pretty wrongly. But the only good the only like good thing is that he is doing it most likely because of like a firm devotion to like chess ethics and to him like a cheater in chess is just like this disgusting terrible thing like to cheat at chess to him is just the worst thing you can do so i i think that's where he's coming from i hope because i i also worry it's a combination of the fact that he thinks something about cheating and a combination of han's behavior and kind of his like brash interview tactics because we know there are other cheaters like right I, I mean other people who he has played with for sure have had cheating infractions like a hundred percent um there are people who have played in major tournaments with him that i know like i mean know is a strong word but i've been given very strong information that they like threw games or bought games they make the candidates like many many years ago uh, like he has no problem playing those people all the time. Um, so somehow Hans is the one that has just triggered him more than anyone. And like the question is why? Like what exactly happened? Yeah, it's a big mystery. You know, again, as we record this Tuesday night, um, there's a someone just posted a picture on Reddit of Hans and Magnus playing chess on the beach, August of 2022. Yeah, I mean, so whatever happened, it was recent. Well, not just recent, because like Magnus didn't forfeit his game against Hans in Sinkfield Cup. He played the game, and yeah. then only when he lost, only once he lost the game, then he's like, "Oh, now I don't like this anymore." So something must have happened in between him losing and him withdrawing from the tournament that or during made, the game yeah i mean or during the game that made him feel like you know i can't take this anymore and this is a, like whatever hans is doing is unethical but like if he knew he was if he thought he was cheating already before that game like why like like to only withdraw when you lose like there's something weird about that there's something like very inconsistent with like his kind of like moral ethical stance on the issue it's like it shouldn't matter you know he should have done the same thing if he wins the game and there's we know he wouldn't have done that we know if he beat hans he's not withdrawing from the tournament the next day right right like so i just don't quite get it it doesn't make sense from a logical ethical standpoint to me that in particular um it's the same in this recent tournament. Losing uh, the game in two moves, intentionally throwing the game. I'll add. It's just like it, it doesn't. It doesn't fit. Like, like first of all, I mean, he's definitely or potentially taking money out of somebody else's pocket. Like anyone who doesn't qualify because Hans gets those three points. Like, they have a legitimate complaint that they're owed money, you know? Like, they lose a 
serious opportunity. The prize funds in these tournaments are big. Yeah. And Hans is just gift. I mean, Magnus is just gifted at three points to Hans, potentially kicking somebody out. Like, it's just so, it's, it's so ridiculous. Like we know that Hans is, I'm sorry. We know that Magnus is probably doing it for something that is a good cause. Like cheating in chess is a problem, but it just doesn't feel like the right way. It doesn't feel like the right target even. Yeah. Especially cause to me, it'd be one thing if it was like a powerless voice who doesn't have other outlets to have their, uh, their opinions heard. But obviously as the world champion, um, you know, uh, part owner of the company staging this event, you would think he could go through more traditional channels to express his frustration. Well, yeah. And there's, there's some other things that I find very unethical about it. And this is true. Even if Hans is cheat, even we find out Hans is like the biggest cheater ever. Um, what Magnus is doing, I think, is, is very unethical in the sense that he is wielding his power like nobody else could do what he's doing. He's the only, probably the only player in the world who could just decide to forfeit a game, not say anything, and that's it. And when you are the only, it just doesn't seem fair for you to be able to do a thing. But everyone, like, everyone else has to play the cheater, assuming he's cheating, which I'm definitely not assuming. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, imagine in the first round if, like, uh, you know, I don't know who like Ivan Sarich decided I'm just, I would, I forfeit the game. Like, right. <laughs> like, like, no, like people be like, you can't do that. Or what if like somebody just doesn't like somebody else and just decides to forfeit the game. Doesn't say why. I mean, like we know the reason, right? Because it's Magnus, but like you're suddenly opening a door where anyone can forfeit a game at any time. And what are you going to say? You know, you did it. <laughs> you, you know, like, like what if you do it the round, like 15th round, like right before the, the knockout to like help your friend get in. Like, what is the explanation why you can't do that? There's none. You can literally just cheat now. Uh, I mean, because you can't punish one person and not another. And, and Magnus faced no punishment for it. So I, I don't so, know. It's just like a lot. So of if you were running wrong. the tournament, uh, how would you have reacted to what Magnus I would did? Disqual- I mean, I don't know the rules and regulations of the tournament, but I assume the rules, assuming the rules say something like you can't fix a game, I would just, I mean, I would just kind of forfeit. I would disqualify Magnus and just look for a new job, I guess, <laughs> because like right. you, you just like can't you can't do it. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter if you have incontrovertible proof that the guy cheated. If you have that proof, just show it later or whatever. Like you know, but you can't just like mess up a tournament for every single person involved and and open the door for other people to do it. Um, like there's just there's just you you can't fix games. Yeah, Chris Bird, uh, of course, who was recently in the news as the head uh, arbiter of uh, the Sinkfield Cup, tweeted shortly after Magnus's stunt. He tweeted that the champion chess tour regulations state that the FIDE chess online chess regulations apply in cases not covered by their regulations. And Article 9 of those reg- regula- excuse me, regulations, players' conduct duct, has, in quote, the players shall take no action that will bring the game into disrepute. Um, unquote. So I would think that would be reason enough. And as you say, if it were anyone other than Magnus, I think it would have been a no-brainer. Um, so hold on, there's to, no other rule about like fixing a result and intentionally losing. That's the, uh, that's that's that what big? I infer from that's what I infer from from that tweet. I don't know for a fact. I mean, that's pretty vague. That's surprisingly vague. 
but it does bring the game into disrepute that's for sure although uh, you know, you know, to, know. <laughs> to play devil's advocate this is not necessarily my opinion but someone pointed yeah. out like when ho yi fan uh resigned in gibraltar a few years ago because she felt she kept getting paired against women and felt that uh someone wasn't doing the pairings correctly like there are a couple historical precedents of of uh this sort of thing i mean with the two, ho yi fan wasn't disqualified either right right it was a little different because I, I can't remember what tournament that was. It was like, well, it was Gibraltar, I, I think, but it wasn't like, I mean, I guess you should never really do that, but it, like the, the impact here is larger to me because the chance that somebody will be negatively impacted is very high. Like yeah, extremely high that somebody is going to lose a spot because of this stunt. Um, and that would piss me off. Like little, like let's Christopher Yu, you know, he's right in the running. He's this young kid, fiery, energetic, like on his way up. Let's say he gets ninth place, like a point behind Hans. Like what the hell, right? Like, like it's just ridiculous that that could happen. Um, I don't know. In my opinion, if that does happen, Magnus should withdraw because like he doesn't deserve a spot in the, in the tournament when he kind of like kicks somebody else out because of his own like personal vendetta. So I, I don't know. It just, it bothers yeah. me. And again, I think, you know, for the most part, Magnus has been a great champion. Like, I'm, I don't want to, like, be, like, just bullying on him here. Um, this is just something weird is happening. Uh, and, I, and, you know, and I, I think he thinks he's in the right. He thinks this person is A, a cheater, and B, like, uh, you know, talks too much trash to, for somebody who's also known to have cheated or something. And so he's decided, you know, I just refuse to grace this player with the opportunity to play me, I suppose, at this point. But it just it's just affecting other people, other people's yeah. careers. I mean, one thing that has struck me is how little it seems that people in the know know about this. Usually you know, the chess world is so small and everyone's so connected that I would think that someone would be like intimating that they have some knowledge of what Magnus is doing. I did feel like Aronian sort of softened his stance a little bit. Uh, his mm-hmm. quote on um, on Monday after defending um, Hans at the Sinkfield Cup saying, my peers have a tendency to overreact. His quote yesterday was, I understand the frustration of Magnus. I really don't know much about a lot of things. Now I'm somewhere in the middle. I do believe mm-hmm. that Hans has not been the cleanest person when it comes to online chess, but he's a young guy and hopefully this will be a lesson to him. But I don't know if that's about like their personal relationship, trying to mend fences in that regard, or if he actually has more knowledge, but he also only mentions online chess. Um, you know, uh, Daniel Naroditsky floated a theory online that mm-hmm. it has that Max, Magnus's reaction was so severe that he feels it has to relate to Hans cheating in over the board chess. Um, of course, Ken Regan continues to say he shows no evidence over the board chess cheating. It's, I mean, all all we're left to do is speculate in these circumstances. Well, let's just say it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like you have to play the game, uh, but like the timing is weird, right? Because he withdrew from Sinkfield after losing a game. Did he somehow get evidence of over-the-board cheating in, like, the next 10 hours that caused him to do that? Or, like, whatever number of hours it was? I, I highly doubt it. If he had that evidence, you know, it would probably be public now. Right. So, something's just off. You know, and, and like, yeah, maybe he's just upset about the online cheating. But, like, to be honest, like, first of all, he was a kid. 
he's still a kid, but like he was even younger, presumably when it happened. Um, Unless it's just been going nonstop. But then again, Hans in his interview said that he met with someone from chess.com and had a friendly meeting just days before the, the, all this started at the Sinkfield cup. So yeah, yeah, it's quite a puzzle. I mean, I, I do think that if Hans was less brash in his interviews, I have a strong feeling that it, this stuff wouldn't have happened. But that's just, a, that's just a guess. I don't know for sure. But I know that Hans is not the only person near the top who has had like cheating issues at some point when they were younger. Like We know that like, Chess.com releases that information. Jiri gave in an interview, said the exact same thing. Like, Hans is not like the special snowflake, like the only person that ever cheated online in, <laughs> in the entire chess world. Uh, and, you know, almost all of those people, from what we know, don't actually cheat in over-the-board events. It's just like they're at home, they're messing around, they're kids. Sometimes they're not kids, sometimes they're adults. Yeah, I mean, one other thing, Greg, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard stories of uh, Jan, I mean, uh, Hans, <laughs> showing poor sportsmanship at the board. Do you think it could be something involving that, or is the reaction too extreme? Too extreme. And we know there are other top players who have a very long history of rude behavior for the board um and, and i can't believe that his i mean maybe he has some i don't know you've never heard this stuff i've actually never never heard that but you know anything's possible um but like if that was the case why wouldn't he say something why is it like i can't speak about the secret matter that he kicked me under the board like you know it just doesn't it doesn't hold up it's also hard to believe, even if he's done that in the past, to do that to the world champion. Is, uh... No, I, I just don't think that's that's a thing. I mean, his interviews are a little wild, you know, and like maybe Magnus is like feels disrespected in them. I, I really don't know. Uh, and then again, like even if even if he's a cheater, like even if they have the strong feeling that he's cheating in actual tournament games, you don't get to be the one who like kind of decides this. Like just like, like and, and also like puts everyone else in this awkward position. Like people are just trying to play chess. Like he's he's like hijacking these tournaments for like all the top players in the world that just love to play and they're they're working hard. Eric Geisy, all these kids, Pragnananda, Christopher Yu, they're just there to play like this once in a lifetime tournament and it's just getting overshadowed by you know, this incident. And you know, one of them is very possibly might miss out on a spot. In the, in the quarterfinals because of it, which is, I think, the worst thing about it. I agree. Um, well, it'll be curious. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, who you know, <laughs> this is coming out in a couple of days. Who knows what craziness will have co- ensued even before this podcast gets released. But, like, how is this going to play at overcoming tournaments? Is Hans going to get blacklisted? Is Magnus going to keep resigning? Like, it just feels so untenable. Um, over any period longer than days? I don't know. I, I have a serious problem. Like, if there is no evidence, right, if nothing ever comes forward and people are, like, not inviting Hans because of Magnus, then I feel like Magnus is actually, like, becoming everything he, like, hated. Like, all this champion's privilege and all this stuff that he, like, kind of spoke out about when he was younger. Like, that's what he's exerting right now. Um... Because there, are, you know, there are ways to do this. If he really believes he's cheating, which he probably does, there there are ways to do it that are not like this. <laughs> and, 
And, yeah. you know, he's the only one that has the ability to do this, which I think is what really bothers me about it is because he's taking advantage of a kind of a privilege that other people lack. Uh, I mean, I don't have the privilege to like forfeit a game. It's not like that <laughs> exciting of a privilege to have, but you know, most people just can't do this. And he, he, he is only doing it because of his, he's only able to because of his stature and because it's like his tournament or he's world champion. But I, I feel like it's, there's something wrong about that. I feel like in chess, everything should be equal. You should play in the same level as everyone else you're playing with in the tournament. And, and I don't think he's doing that right now. Yeah. Sad, but true. I agree. Um, um, and, you right, know, well, and, and, you know, I want to say, like, cheating is, is a serious issue. Like, I, there, there's some good, like, he's trying, he's almost certainly, like, trying to fight against that. Um, and that is a good and noble thing from the world champion to be taking something like that so seriously. Uh, that doesn't mean I think that Hans cheated or is cheating or anything like that. But you can tell that Magnus, to Magnus, this is something really serious. Like, I think he cares about it more than anyone else. I think he has this strong sense of justice. Um, but sometimes that sense of justice, you get like a little carried away and like he's focused on this one thing and kind of like ignoring all the other impacts his behavior has on everybody else. So, yeah. Well said. And, and yeah, as you alluded to earlier, I mean, as Geary pointed out, it, it can't be the only person he's played who uh, oh, he's been aware of uh, cheating allegations against. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, Greg, any final thoughts before we let you go for this round? Who knows how much drama will unfold in <laughs> the coming uh, days and weeks? I don't know. You know, I also like, like feel a little bad for Hans, right? Like, like I don't know. Like, if he, especially, especially if he has like never cheated over the board, which you know, like clearly the chances that he cheated are, are, are higher just because of like the behavior of people. But like that's with no evidence from my point of view. Um, but like, if he has never actually cheated in an over the board game, and all he did was like cheat a little bit online, which I, you know, it's not good. You should not cheat online. Don't recommend it. But if that is what's happened, the reaction by Magnus is like way, way out of proportion to what's happening here. Um, on the plus side, I think this is probably, probably going to be good for Hans overall. <laughs> Because so, it's just bringing so much attention on him. He's the person everyone wants to see play. Um, you know, he's not going to just lose all... Unless there's, like, clear evidence that he cheated. He's, like, a hot ticket right now. So, like, and Magnus has done that. So Hans probably can thank him for that. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, it, it, I don't know what's going on in Hans' head. I mean, this is, like, a weird situation to be in. You're a young kid and the world champion. We probably idolized in a lot of ways. It's kind of just, like, treating you like this. So... Yeah, and he's so young. Hard to say. Um, yeah. But, you know, he All has right. a very individual, individualistic style. So, like, I think if anyone is going to just, like, you know, it might just spur him on more than other people instead of kind of, like, dishearten him. We shall see. To be continued. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Greg. Appreciate you sharing your thoughts once again. My pleasure. I hope everybody at the end, I hope everyone just gets along and we find out nobody's cheating. Nobody's going to cheat anymore. Magnus and Hans hug, play on the beach some more. 
make a buddy movie. Yeah. 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 Someday soon. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. Take, take care, Greg. See you later. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, But most of all, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.